All right, good morning. Good to see you there. What a great exodus of young people going upstairs to eat cupcake and ice cream. Now they're going to learn with Philip. Great, uh, a great student minister and great student ministry he's got going. <clears throat> well, welcome to Gateway. If you're a guest, thanks for being here today. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us today, and welcome to Second Winter. Yeah, Second Winter, and we're going to have First Summer this week and then go back to Spring. So that's all just this week. But we're glad you're here. We're carrying over some momentum, not just from our Pray for One series that we, uh, that we were in last month and earlier this month, but also from last week in the Contagious Faith Conference Hope you enjoyed Mark Middleberg. Mark is a good friend now. He's a partner uh, with us, with Lee Strobel Ministries, and uh, we, we just think he's, he's the best. So if, if you didn't get a book, or if you didn't listen to those messages, they're still available on our website. You go to our website and then hit store. Lots of products there. Pray for one products. Uh, we even have softball hats. You know it's getting close to softball season. And uh, the books that Mark had for sale here last week. <clears throat> so uh, check into that, and you can always go back and watch those messages online. Today we're starting a new series leading up to Easter. It's a series. Easter's only three weeks away, you know. And this is a series that focuses on the life of the Apostle Peter. You remember Peter? Cephas? Simon Peter? The stone or the rock? That's what he was referred to as. And I have to be honest with you, there's just something special about Peter, isn't there? Something special about this man. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but there's something charismatic about his personality that attracts us to him. You probably experienced this if you watch the Chosen series. Many of you watch the Chosen series with us, or maybe you've seen it on your own. You can always go to the Chosen app or Chosen.com and Watch that. But Simon Peter just kind of sticks out, doesn't he? This personality, this character. I mean, we, we like him. We laugh with him. We laugh at him. It's, uh, it's just fun to be a friend of Peter's. And if you, were, uh, if, if you had a list of your favorite Bible characters, I mean, the whole Bible, I'm guessing, let's say a top 10 list, uh, Peter would make that list. Maybe if it was a top five list, he might make that list. I mean, just one of those people. <clears throat> Maybe we relate to him because of his accomplishments. You know, he had a, a pedigree. He had a resume that uh, was, was really full. Here's a man who walked on water. No other human being outside of Jesus could say that. He walked on water. I mean, if you're, if you're looking for somebody, uh, maybe, maybe you're uh, uh, hiring some fishermen, you're like, that, that would come in handy right there. Just walk out there and get that and come back. Here's a man who was the first to confess that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Here's a disciple that Jesus trusted to be in his inner circle. You know, there was a lot of disciples, then there was the dazzling dozen. And then there's uh, what I call the thrilling three, or the big three, Peter, James, and John. He was in the inner circle. Peter is the one who preached the first gospel message. Remember that? 
Thousands of people had come in to Jerusalem, and he preached the first gospel message. 3,000 people responded to Christ and were baptized that day. Peter has a list, a long list of notable accomplishments, and maybe that's why we like him, because he's the likable guy. I mean, he's done so many great things. Or perhaps we like Peter not because of his list of accomplishments, but maybe because of his list of failures. You know, we can relate to people who are like us, who are like us, who mess up, who blow it, who have done some great things, but they, they've also done some pretty terrible things. You know, one minute he was walking on water, and the very next minute he was not trusting Jesus, took his eyes off Jesus and found himself up to his neck in the open sea. You know, Peter was talking about that later. They would, have, they would have reminded him, yeah, but Peter, what happened next? <laughs> you fell. You know, it's interesting that, that Mark, Mark's gospel really, we believe, historians believe, scholars believe, came from Peter. That Mark's gospel is really Peter's account given to Mark to write down. And nowhere in Mark's account do you read about Jesus, uh, uh, Peter walking on the water. It's almost like Peter said, yeah, but I fell, I fell. Don't, don't put that in there. Just leave that story out. Matthew can tell that story if he wants to, but let's not tell it. One day, uh, Peter publicly confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, and then much later on another day, not once, not twice, but three times he denies that he even knows Jesus in public. One day, he's preaching the first gospel message where 3,000 people come and trust Christ and are baptized then not too long after that, the apostle Paul has to rebuke him because he's showing prejudice against the Gentiles. Remember that exchange where Paul said, I had to confront him face to face. We like Peter because we see ourselves in him. We, uh, we see how we're sometimes heroes and then sometimes we're zeros. One day we shine, the next day we stumble. One day we're proud of our accomplishments, the next day we're embarrassed by our mistakes. It reminds me of the courtroom scene story I heard once. A prosecuting attorney called a little gray-haired lady up to the witness stand, and, she, and he asked her, he said, do you know me? She said, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I've known you since you were a child. I've watched you grow up in this community, and I must say I'm disappointed in you. I know that you're a liar, you're dishonest, and you manipulate people behind the scenes. <clears throat> the red-faced lawyer turned to the defense attorney and said, well, do you know him? She said, yes, I know him too. I've known him since he was a baby. I, I changed his diaper and babysat for him when he was a child. I've watched him grow up, and I must say that I'm disappointed in him too. He's a liar. He's a crook. And he's running around on his wife with other women in town. At that time, the judge stopped the proceedings. He called both lawyers up. And in a hushed tone, he said, if either one of you ask her if she knows me, I'll kick you out of my courtroom. You know, if the truth were fully told, none of us would be too pleased with the truth about us, would we? We're all sinners, we have our moments of greatness. Yeah, we do great things, but there's probably a whole lot more times that would cancel out those moments in our life. 
Who knows? Thank God there's not a balance scale that's going to determine whether we make it into heaven because it's, it's going to lean the other way, the way we don't like. And if the truth were known, everybody's like this, and we can identify with Peter because he's just like us. Moments of greatness and moments of sadness. And in this series, we're going to follow Peter's life to just before uh, uh, the crucifixion, uh, this passage this morning, and then past the crucifixion and the resurrection, even to his writing. We're going to, we're going to look at Peter when he falls down, but also as he gets back up. And we're going, to, we're going to try not to do what historians call flashing forward. You know, when you look at history, we have a tendency to do a flash forward and what they mean by that is, okay, we know the end of that. We know the result of that. For instance, we all know how the Civil War ended, right? So, therefore, because we know how the Civil War ended, we want to, we want to th- throw everybody in the South uh, to the toilet. You know what I'm saying? So, we, we flash forward and we miss the lessons that can be learned from the moments uh, as it was happening, you know, there were some great people in the South uh, leading the charge and leading the, the troops, godly men. And, and up until the Battle of Gettysburg, there was a strong belief that the South was going to win uh, this battle, you know, the war. But if you flash forward, of course, you know uh, the story. And so we dismiss all that. And sometimes by dismissing it, we've, we miss things. So I don't, I, you know, I, we know how Peter ended up. We know. We know he's got two letters at the end of the book, and we know the great things that he did, historians tell us, after the Bible, but we don't want to miss the falling down and the important things that happened to him along the way. Let's not flash forward too far. Let's look at these as a, a kind of an objective way to see what, what, what went on here. Uh, the time period today is Matthew 16. This is a great passage of Scripture, Matthew 16, at this at this point in the ministry of Jesus, he's got his disciples. Maybe it's a year, a little over a year, a little bit longer that he's been uh, leading them, walking with them, discipling, mentoring relationship. And, and he takes them to the northern part of what we would call the promised land, to the base of what's called Mount Hermon, the headwaters of the, Caesarea, uh, of the, of the, of the Jordan River, rather, called Caesarea Philippi. And so that's where we're at today. We'll talk a little bit more about it after we read the passage. Matthew 16, starting with verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the baptizer, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that's his father's name, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So this is a big moment right here. This is one of those big watershed moments in the 
Uh, not just the life of Peter, but in the, the life of the disciples and the ministry of Jesus. It was a turning point. You see, Jesus had taken them to this place uh, in the northern part of the, of the country near the base of Mount Hermon, and this was a place that was thick with idolatry, idol worship. In fact, there was, a, there was an idol to the Greek god Pan. You know, you've heard of Pan theism, which is the belief that God, or little, little g, God is in everything. He's like in that tree, he's in that, he's in that chair, he's in the stand, he's in your hair, whatever. Uh, you know, we believe that God is all existent. You know, he's, he can be and in, in, is everywhere, but we don't believe in pantheism. There's, a, there's an idol to Pan. There was an idol to the old uh, Canaanite god Baal, or as they would say, Baal. There was a, uh, an idol to Caesar there. And if you went up the, the, the face of Mount Hermon and you walked, you would notice lots of cutouts and caves and different places as you walked your way to the top. And in every single one of those, there was a little place of worship. There was an idol stuck in a corner over there in the rocks, and, and people would go and worship as they made their way up this mountain. So when Jesus gathered his disciples down here at the base, they were in the shadow of this dark, religious, demonic um, backdrop. That's, that's where they were. That's where they were. Don't miss that. So when, when Jesus asked, all right, here we are right in the middle of all this religious diversity, all this dark, demonic worship, who are people saying that I am? Who are they saying that I am? And uh, they gave some answers, you know, they gave some answers. Peter said, I know who you are. Well, thank God for Peter, huh? Stepping out of the boat, grabbing the sword, foot in his mouth, always the first to speak up. And sometimes he's a hero. Sometimes he's a zero. He said, you're the Christ. All these are dead gods. They're made of stone and iron and wood, but you're not. You are the Christ, the living God, the son of the living God. It was a bold statement. It's, it's a powerful statement in the context in which it was given. Now, it's interesting that none of the others spoke up here. You know, they probably couldn't beat Peter to the answer, but they could have responded the way some people were responding. In that day, they were saying Jesus was a glutton and he was a, a drunkard. Remember, he said that. You know, you guys are saying I'm, the Son of Man is a drunken, a glut, glutton, and a friend of sinners. In other words, they thought Jesus laughed too much. He partied too much. He, he was too happy. You know, there are some people, even religious people, that if you're too happy, they think you can't be holy. They don't want you to be happy. They, they, they don't, they don't want to see too many smiles on your face because we got to beat you down. We got to beat you down and uh, make you surrender that way. You know, Jesus had a, he had a happy persona. He had a happy persona, and so should we. But they did give some answers. They played it kind of safe. They didn't want to say that about Jesus because uh, they were par party to some of those parties. They said, though, some, some say you're John the baptizer. 
You know, in Matthew 14, Herod had already killed John. Remember that whole story? Uh, Herod had married his brother's wife and, um, and, and with a, who had a daughter, and John preached out against that. Maybe there were some things going on behind the scenes that he might have had the brother killed. You know, Herod was a very jealous, obsessed king. He, he had all those babies killed. And so uh, John preached out unashamedly, courageously about it, and it got him locked up. And so when the wife found out that stepdad Herod had offered her daughter whatever she wanted, she said, hey, why don't you ask for that preacher's head? That'll keep him from preaching. And so he'd already killed him, but in, in Matthew 14, when Herod heard everything that Jesus had been doing, all these miracles, and this is my paraphrase, he said, oh, man, John the baptizer has come back from the dead to haunt me. That's Matthew 14, 1. And so some people were saying that. They, some say you're Elijah. You know, the book of Malachi predicted that Elijah would come back in the years before the day of the Lord, Malachi 4, 5. Some people took that literally, that it would literally be Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah, they said. You know, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because he continued to lament over the sin of Israel and the coming destruction that, was, that God was going to bring on, on the nation. He wept. And, of course, you remember Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept over the sin. He wept over their unbelief. So some say you're the Jeremiah reincarnated because you cry so much. Jesus laughed a lot, but people who laugh a lot typically cry a lot too, don't they? He was an emotional person. Some say you're a modern prophet. You know, that's what Muhammad says about Jesus. Yeah, Muslims don't hate Jesus. They don't hate Jesus. They like Jesus. He's one of their prophets. They just think that's all he was. That's all he is. Unfortunately, that's... Millions of people today who aren't Muslim believe that Jesus was a religious man. He was a good man. Take what you want from him. He's got some truth. But don't forget Buddha and, and don't uh, forget, uh, you know, all these other religions. Uh, they have good things too. It's called oneism. You know, grab a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and make your own religion. And so... Uh, that's what they believe, and a lot of people believe that. Jesus said, okay, I got all that, but who do you say that I am? And it's an important question. Like I said, this is a watershed moment. Jesus has been doing all these things in front of them and all this teaching. They needed to know, he needed to know that they knew who he really was. They were convinced of it. Who is Jesus? That's the question of your life. Listen, there are a lot of questions you're going to answer in your life. What do you want to eat today? Uh, you know, what, 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 would you, what would you like for dinner? Uh, what are you going to wear tomorrow? What are you going to do tomorrow? You, you go down the list of questions you're going to answer. None of them are more important than this question. None of them. Who is Jesus? The answer we give to this question will determine our eternal destiny. Jesus himself said in Mark 16, whoever believes in me and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. It's the most critical question for your life and for your eternity. But you know, the culture that Peter lived in, the culture that we live in is very confused. There's so much confusion. Now, I believe that all confusion 
comes from the devil and confusion is all related. But I want to set aside spiritual confusion. Although I believe all confusion is related to spiritual confusion. But just look at the confusion in our culture today. Our culture, I'm not saying you, I'm not saying me, but I'm saying just look at what's happening right now in front of our very eyes. The confusion. We're confused about what it means to be a woman. Yeah, we're confused about what it means to be a man. Hey, these are two basic things. What it looks like to be respectful and decent to other people, people you disagree with, people who are confused. We're confused about what it means to be tolerant. You know, tolerance used to mean you can believe what you want to believe. I think you're wrong, but you can believe that. I'll believe what I believe. You think I'm wrong but you can, you're going to let me believe that. We can agree, disagree agreeably. But tolerance today is you have to acknowledge that what I'm saying is right. And so that, therefore, that, that just throws a wrench in what's called absolute truth because we can't both be right. But tolerance today says, yeah, we can all be right. And you have to acknowledge that I'm also right. We're confused about that. We're confused about where our rights come from. We're confused about how to defend the defenseless from pre-born human beings to end of life. We're confused about what it means to live in a free country. We're confused about the role of the government in our lives. We're confused about our nation's role in the world. We're confused about where we find truth. Is it in us, in our feelings, or is it somewhere else? And I could go on down a list that's happening right in front of our very eyes. Our nation, our country, people in our world are so confused. And I haven't even mentioned really the spiritual things. People are confused about God. But if Jesus is the son of the living God, if Jesus is God, if Jesus is Lord like he claimed to be, then the answer we give to this question will be the number one answer and more important than any other answer we give to any question. I believe that he is all that, and I hope you do too. Peter believed it. You know, Peter had been, you look at the first 15 chapters of Matthew sometime, just flip through them and look at the headings that somebody put in your Bible, and you'll see that Peter had heard the incredible teaching. He had seen Jesus stand toe-to-toe with the religious leaders and not be intimidated. He had heard uh, 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 Jesus rebuke demons. He had seen Jesus heal people of leprosy and disease and paralysis and blindness. He watched as Jesus brought a little girl back to life and healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He had seen the miracles day in and day out. He had seen Jesus feed 5,000 and then 4,000 with just a little bit of food. He had firsthand experience of Jesus calming the storm. And of course, as I mentioned, walking on the water that night, he was 100% convinced of who Jesus was. He believed Jesus when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will build it again. No wonder when Jesus asked this question, Peter blurted out. He couldn't help himself. It was was coming out. There was no question in his mind that you're this God or that God or this prophet. He said, no, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Guys, don't miss this. Don't be confused about this. Speak up with me here. We've seen this man at work. He is God. It was a great moment. 
maybe if we could pick some moments where we could have been there to witness some things, this might have been the moment. And so when he said that, that Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, notice that Jesus didn't say, oh, come on, Peter. I appreciate your kind words, but let's not go overboard here. Jesus didn't say that, did he? Because it was true. It was absolutely true. It was James Hudson Taylor who was credited with saying, Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And I like the exchange with C.S. Lewis when he was writing about uh, Jesus claiming to be uh, the son of God, God himself. C.S. Lewis said he only gave us three options. Jesus only gave us three options. He was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he's Lord. There's only three options, and really only one of those is true. So Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, and I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I need to make a comment here because the Roman Catholic Church has taken this passage and a little bit after this and developed a theology of what's called papal succession. Papal succession means that whoever is the pope has a, 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 a direct contact to the pope before him all the way to Peter, to this moment. Therefore, since Jesus told Peter, they say, that I'm going to build my church on you, and I'm going to give you the keys, and you, whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever you bind, whatever you loose, it shall be. And so they, they claim papal succession from this passage. And, but here's the, here's the thing they overlook or choose to overlook is that Jesus is using, you know, he, he, Jesus We don't see this because we read the English. We don't see the Greek. But a lot of places, Jesus did a play on words. You remember it was earlier where Jesus named Peter the rock. Before the rock, Peter was the rock. Yeah, you guys know the rock, don't you? Yeah, and that was Peter. And so here, there are two words used. He says, you are Peter Petros, which means it's a little rock. But on this rock, Petra, which is a big rock, foundation rock, I'm going to build my church. So we believe that Jesus, yeah, he acknowledged, man, you're on the right track, and you're, you're building on the foundation of what you just said about me. That's what I'm going to build my church on. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever say that the church is built on Peter or any human It can't say that. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The old hymn says, the church's one foundation is what? Jesus Christ, her Lord. Listen, if the church is built on an ordinary man like Peter who is a hero one day and a zero the next day, it's not gonna stand. If the church is built on Uh, imperfection and uh, fallibility, it's not going to stand. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, when Peter and John were doing their normal day-to-day stuff and they run into a 
man who's asking for help, you know, he wants some money, but he's lame. So instead of giving the money, which they didn't have, they healed the man and they got arrested for that. And when they were pulled up to the authorities, they said, by whose authority, by whose authority do you do these things? Peter didn't say, oh, I've got the authority. Jesus gave me the keys. It's my authority. No, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They believed, as we believe, that the church is built not on a man, not on Peter. Peter's a great man but he's not that great. Only Jesus could carry the church on his back to Calvary. So, hero Peter, good job. But I want you to notice what happens next, verse 21. Very next verse. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you, not as long as I'm alive. I added that part. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. This is the only time Jesus ever referred to anybody as Satan. Now, he called the Pharisees sons of the devil, but he went straight to Satan here. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You know what this is? This is spiritual confusion. This is spiritual confusion. I made up a new word in the first service that I'll share with you, because that's what you have to do. If you make up a new word, you have to share it so people start using it. So Peter went from heroic, and the new word I made up was zeroic. He went to zeroic. He didn't, under, he didn't understand. I mean, he understood who Jesus was, and he knew that the religious leaders wanted to kill him. They knew that Herod had had John killed. They, they, uh, they didn't like Jesus because he spoke the truth. He spoke it out loud. The people were following him. And if anybody was going to threaten, you remember the Chosen series in the Chosen. <clears throat> I like this aspect of the Chosen, which I had... I believe long before the chosen is that Peter and some of the apostles kind of acted like the security team. You know, they were watching the crowd. They're watching the crowd. And if anybody gets too close to Jesus, we'll take you out. We'll take you. It's the Christian way to do it. It's a Christian uh, hatchet chop or whatever, you know, we have to do. Uh, we'll take you out. And so Peter said, Lord, we, we're on the right track. We got some momentum going here. We've got some good stuff. We know who you are. Don't talk about this suffering stuff. You're not going to be killed. It's going to be fine. We're going to Jerusalem. We're getting the white horses. We're going to take it over. You see, that? that's what Peter was confused. He knew who Jesus was, but he was confused about why he came, what he came to do, how he came to do it. And so he rebuked Jesus. He rebuked him. 
One minute Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. You're speaking the words of God. And the next minute he says, cursed are you, Satan. You're speaking the words of the devil. Now, I want to close out by giving us some help here. Again, like I said earlier, I think we're a lot like Peter. Here to here. And I, I, I want us to battle this spiritual confusion that you may not know you have. Here's three things. Just, I just want to give you three quick things here before we close. First of all, check your motives. Check your motives. You know, you, there's a, a lot of times when you can be doing the right thing, but if you do them with the wrong motives, you're still wrong. You might want to tell someone the truth, but if you got their, your foot on their chest and you just beat them up with your one-foot Bible, you're wrong. And, and when you interact on social media with these atheists and skeptics and people who are derogatory toward the faith, and you use the bad language, and you're the one that gets bitter, and you're the one that gets ugly, you have the truth, but you're wrong. This is something we are confused about in our culture. I can't tell you the number of times I have typed a response out. I just did this last night. And I thought, well, nobody in the church will see this because it's way down on this comment page. It's like number 58 on this quote, this thing that this person said, and this is way down here. But I know how Twitter works. It'll say, your preacher, Dave Stoffer, liked this. Like, oh, man. And you can ask some of our staff members. They've been caught that way because it pops it out there. You don't know how many times I've typed an ugly response or, or maybe not ugly, but direct and to the point. And sometimes you do have to be direct and to the point, but social media doesn't seem to be the place to do that. So check your motives. Matthew says from that time on, he said, I, I must go and suffer. You know, we, we like Jesus for what he can do for us and how he can bless us, but we don't want him to lead us into any suffering. The suffering is his way. In fact, it was a more mature Peter later who would say, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. 1 Peter 4.16. You may not want the suffering, but you can't say no to it. And I'm, I'm not saying you're going to get sick or anything like that. I'm just saying, I think in this country, things are going to get worse before they get better. And it's not going to be easier to be a Christian. It's going to be harder. And you better be ready for it. We better be ready for it. So if, if you have to stand up and say, I, I believe this in love, I'm sharing the gospel with you and be ridiculed for it, that's good motives right there. Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter and didn't open his mouth. So Jesus had to suffer. You know, you, you can understand who he is and not remember what he came to do and how he came to do it. Secondly, choke your pride. Choke your pride. Pride is the first and one of the most dangerous Sins, it causes us to think we know more than we actually do. Satan was kicked out of heaven because of his pride. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because of their pride. This was a continuing issue for Peter. He had so many great accomplishments. He's like, man, he gave me the keys. 
I can do whatever I want to do. I'll take care of this, guys. Jesus, come here. I need to talk to you about what you just said. No, that's Jesus. You don't get to tell Jesus what your plan is. You don't get to tell Jesus how to change his plan. But that's what Peter was doing. Uh, Jesus, I hear what you say there, but uh, we're not going to do it that way. We'll do it some other way. We'll do it some other way. And that's what Peter was doing here. So we read the focus verse, pride goes before destruction. So check your motives, choke your pride. And I could spend more time on that, but I know what time it is. And lastly, channel your thoughts. Channel your thoughts. This is so hard for us to let our mind wander and drift into worldly things and uh, things that seem good but really aren't good. Channel your thoughts. You know, spiritual clarity requires us to guard our thoughts. That's what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, to take your thoughts captive. Before you let them out of your mouth, think about them. (laughs) That's what thoughts are, but think about them another time. Jesus told Peter, your thoughts don't reflect the mind of God, but the, but the heart of Satan. You need to check your thoughts, and so do we. And here's, these are some things you can do to avoid spiritual confusion. Check your motive, choke your pride, channel your thoughts, and uh, I think you'll be on the way. I love Peter. I love his ups love his downs. We're going to look at some more of them as we go through this series, but, but enough about him. Now, what about you? What about you? Where do you stand? Who is Jesus? Who is he? Would you stand up with me? And if you're here today and you know the answer to that, but you've never given it or proclaimed it publicly or never acted on it, I'm going to invite you to make a decision this morning. And if you've made that decision, then let's rejoice. Let's worship God because of it. Lord God, thank you so much for that answer of who you are. Thank you so much that Peter gave it and people have been giving it throughout the centuries and we want to not just give it, but we want to live it and we want to stand on it. That's my prayer today. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray it. Amen.